A fair warning, this first episode of my final few episodes is a love fest. And I want to thank my friends and colleagues at the Diversity and National Security Network, Asha, Laura, Michael, Camille, Malette, Carrie, and Cliff. Our program partners over at New America and the many who have been cheering me on as I prepare for this final season. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. What is up, everybody? It is Bumi Akinisotu, the creator and host of What in the World podcast. I am so excited to be with y'all. This is the start of a new season where we are talking about the future of foreign policy in America, the state of the world, and why all of it matters to you. We are kicking off this season with something special, something fun. I have three amazing guests from the Diversity and National Security Network who are going to talk about some of the work that they've done. Now, if you've listened to the show in the past, you've heard me say the Diversity and National Security Network. And if you've been reading my notes that are inside the, the episode, You've seen Denson acronym, and hopefully you are also following them on Twitter. One of the co-founders is not a stranger. She's a family to this podcast. Camille Stewart joins us. Camille, hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Excited to chat. Welcome back to, I think this is their third time on the show. Yeah, probably. I love this show. (laughs) We love you, Camille. We love you. And then another advisory board member is Marcus T. Coleman Jr. Marcus, what's up? What's going on? Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Marcus, as part of the advisory uh, board member, has worked on lots of items related to Denson. By day, he works in the private sector on emergency management issues, and he is the former acting director for the Department of Homeland Security Center for Faith and Opportunity Initiatives. I know. Thank you. It's a lot. But he works at the intersection of faith and politics. I think he brings an amazing perspective to foreign policy that I think will come through when we talk. And then last but not least, we have Clifford Pulley, who is a Denson National Security Fellow. If you've been following Denson again, you've seen him write about China and trade and America's posture toward China. Uh, So Clifford, it's your first time. Marcus, it's your first time. Welcome to What in the World. Thank you for having me, Bumi. No problem. No problem. So Denson is an amazing organization that is a coalition of organizations and individuals put together to amplify the voices of experts of color in foreign policy and national security. So just earlier this year, Denson put out a call to action and set out an amazing framework for others to follow. And Camille, let's talk about what was in that document and why it's so important for everybody to know. Our announcement, our call to action is pulling everybody else into this work. We have seen the Diversity and National Security Network mission pick up steam, the opportunity to highlight the talent, the rich, diverse talent within the national security and foreign policy sectors is a mantle and a platform that was really important to us when we started. And Asha, Laura, and I were able to pull together a great group of board members, Cliff is our national security fellow, and then a bunch of steering committee members who helped bring the affinity lens or the racial lens to each list that we pulled together. And we honor 230 practitioners. And and that was the core of our work when we started. But the work of 
making sure that diverse voices had a platform and had space in the national security and foreign policy sectors couldn't stop it just that. So at every opportunity, we took on work to, to raise issues, to raise people's platforms. The partnership with What in the World podcast is a great example of that, yes, right? Giving yes. People, yes, giving people voice in this kind of a medium. We also were able to partner with West Exec and they spearheaded a mentorship program and our members were able to partner with storied practitioners in this space and become acquainted with and guided by these great leaders who made their time and talent available to us and will continue to engage in that kind of partnership. The deaths of, sorry, murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and others brought about a social racial awakening within this country we did not want the national security and foreign policy community to be left behind. So we convened them with New America to have a conversation about where we went from here. It is very clear that racism, systemic racism, is a national security issue. But people cannot forget that tackling systemic racism is not only a workforce issue, which is a very important piece of the puzzle, but it is also a policy issue. And so we have been pushing on that working on getting folks to leverage their talent in new roles, to write more, and in the new administration as part of advancing dialogue around how race works into all facets of national security and foreign policy, but also into diversifying that workforce. So this call to action is because some of that work is working. People are uh, getting jobs in the administration. People are taking on new projects. So we're so excited about that. But that means that the work that we have been doing on a volunteer basis will have to change. And that although we are continuing this mission and continually engaged on these issues, we cannot work in the same way that we once did. As well as this was never designed to be an isolated thing. It has to be a part of everything for us to truly make progress. So this call to action is to say, look what we have been able to accomplish on volunteer time with volunteer resources, but with a passion for not only the communities, but for seeing our nation succeed by leveraging the best that we have to bear, which is our diversity and the lived experiences that flow through the diasporas of the communities that we represent. So that's what our call to action is about. We wanted to celebrate the work, show people that the progress means something, but that the work is not done and it is theirs to take on in addition to ours to continue. And I want to emphasize volunteer. (laughs) Volunteer. Yo, I'm tired. (laughs) I want to emphasize on top of having whole day jobs. Whole day jobs. Marcus, you came on board and helped with the lists. And we say the list and for context for the listeners, if you go to the Diversity and National Security Network website, you'll see lists of experts by racial and ethnic categories of outstanding individuals. And this is across political party. Dinson is nonpartisan. And so I just want to make sure we emphasize that because this is not just about a democratic administration or about Trump or anything. This is this was uh, an imperative that was nonpartisan. And Marcus, can you talk about from your lens, what it meant for you to participate on the advisory board and help with these and sort of lead on these lists? Sure, absolutely. And I'll say I actually would start with the first time I seen the very first list that dropped and was blown away 
half of these people I had met in passing in other organizations, some I knew from school. The thing I was most like impressed by is the first list. Everybody was black. And like they were black hey. and they were from hey. all over the place. And and I'm not going for like I at the time I know like right there there was no face or voice to the organization. It was kind of just a yeah. thing. And then the second list I seen was the, the the AAPI list came out. And then it was the Latino list that came out in 2019. We all met at an event. And I think that's where I was like, wow, like this is incredible. And like walked into a room full of people of color. Everybody's super thorough. Everyone like, <laughs> uh, I'll say it, just aspiring leaders. And I was, I had lunch with Laura after that. And I was like, yo, how can I help? Like what, by that time we had kind of known who the co-founders were, what they were about. Like we had seen all this stuff. And she'd said the same thing. Like, it's been a hundred percent volunteer. When we started this thing, a lot of people didn't really support what we were trying to do. They couldn't really make anything of it. So we just started going with it. And yeah, was happy to volunteer. I was invited to serve as an advisory board member. And it provided, I think, some much needed meaning making. I'll say what's mm-hmm. unique about this community is that you have a community of people just by nature of what they do and why they why they choose to take this calling into different forms of foreign policy and national security is we make meaning in times of crisis. One of the honorees had stood up an organization as well, Women of Color Advanced Peace and Security, WCAPS, for those that are familiar, and took that same energy and then brought out Orgs and Solidarity. Ambassador mm-hmm. Bonnie Jenkins was, was mm-hmm. doing her thing there. Dr. Nicolette Lewis-Saint, she leads a healthcare nonprofit who mm-hmm. has been at the center of a lot of the big supply chain questions that we're trying mm-hmm. to address through this pandemic. And what was dope is like this community as it's built not just across the communities and across the list, but I think across expertise as we found and been able to create without a lot of infrastructure, opportunities for people to let their stars shine, but do so in a way that doesn't create additional emotional burden on others that have been sought after to do different things. Yeah, it's been an incredible journey in that regard. And we were able to launch our first list this year with the the help of a a phenomenal steering committee for Middle Eastern and North African honorees. And Mm -hmm. so I've been really good about trying to diversify some of the intersections. We have Afro-Latinos that are being acknowledged in different lists and stuff like that. So it's been an incredible part of the process. And Marcus, you touched on something that I find really powerful about this moment. And it is like the ripple effect, right? Of of actions and organizations such as Denson and WCAPS, as you mentioned, I started the podcast in 2017, and even before my podcast, I know the Council on Foreign Relations. They were doing like the diversity and national security career conferences. I think start that started like in 2012. So I think that there have been drops in the bucket in terms of action items, and then perhaps you know timing was on our side with the election of President Trump. I think that sort of like sensitized people a little bit more for better or worse. You know, it opened up people's eyes and certainly gave fuel um, to the fire in terms of wanting to make sure that this space stayed open and diverse and all of those things. But just to see the ripple effect of this work is what's exciting to me. And I'm just in awe of, again, the timing of Mm -hmm. it all right? The timing, how perfectly aligned with the Biden administration this is, and the election of um, our first African-American South Asian vice president, aka shout out Camille, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So actually, I'm going to turn it to Cliff, you know, on that note about the ripple effect, you're in graduate school, 
right now. Mm -hmm. And from your perspective, what does this work mean to you? Oh, man. When I saw the news and the way in which President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris won the election, it was an indescribable feeling that allowed me the opportunity to say the work can continue, not just for Americans, but the forefront of African-American issues and allow us the opportunity to move forward, to have representation at a higher level. Because a lot of what President Obama did was torn down because of the Trump administration. But seeing Kamala Harris as vice president and then being on the right side of President Biden allows us the opportunity to continue the narrative that, hey, we are smart, we are intelligent, and our voices matter. And not only are we not on the sidelines, but we're at the table, we're making these decisions, and we are able to impact the rest of the world and continue to be the leader in which America is known for. Mm-hmm. Can I love on Cliff a little bit? Because I think he is. <laughs> please, so look, please. What's one of the, for me, so we had the, a, a complete honor to, to meet Cliff. And I think it's a reflection to his point. That's meaning making for somebody that is in grad school. My man speaks Mandarin. Like he, he is cut from the cloth of people that are going to be solving challenges today in the national security space. And to be able to provide opportunities. And honestly, I've learned a lot from him even. And like, the continued challenges for those people that are doing the work now from the levels that they sit and trying to continue to model what's going to be happening next. So to hear that he's inspired keeps me inspired because I know for many of us, five, six years or four years ago, maybe that wasn't the case, that you might have had some leaders dejected. And I think part of the power and purpose of ripple effects, and I hope is also being accomplished, is that the stories of not just these honorees, because again, these are snapshots of families, of communities, of people that are often unseen, continue to infuse and inspire, honestly, because you got like Cliff and in his generation, they don't have next, they have right now. And I think a lot of the investment that we can bring around them, hopefully this continues to shepherd some of that mentorship and allows his star to shine. Because my man was super busy this summer, not just in this space, Listen. but in, in, in also other ways of protecting democracy. So Cliff like, was you know. helping out with this podcast last summer. Okay, Cliff was I- doing it all. And I just want to <laughs> double click on Marcus's point about him yes. also being a confidant and advisor. Cliff is a the very truth. savvy, yes, the truth, and a very savvy practitioner or professional. And I can't wait to see what he does with his career and how he makes waves, not ripples, but waves in this sector. And I think that is one of the things I am most excited about is the next generation is hopefully emboldened by these small actions so that Mm -hmm. they can push harder and farther. And also, I want to say Marcus is a boss. (laughs) He is too modest as well and like listen when he came on these lists we got images y'all because we did not have no images <laughs> before <laughs> and marcus talks only about the list but marcus has convened us as leaders marcus has been a part of ideation and innovation within the organization as a whole so i just i want people to know that marcus didn't just focus on lists 
Marcus focused on a great many things. Cliff focused on a great many things. Boomy focused on a great many things in her leadership of diversity and national security network. And I loved that Marcus brought up the community because that's the thing I'm proudest of is this expansive community we have built in our building. But the community within the leadership team is something that I am forever grateful for because people signed on to a whole mm-hmm. volunteer vision <laughs> <laughs> and dedicated their time and talent in ways that like you could never hold your hat and come ask somebody to do that much work. I want to give you all your flowers right now because the work you have done to support this mission, I know we all feel like it is bigger than us, but it is not it is not bigger than all the obligations that we have you know, there's a lot that are on our plates. Most of us have multiple jobs. Most of us have <laughs> on top of families on top of our own professional aspirations to write and speak and do all these other things. And you balance that with this. And I am forever grateful. And I know Laura and Asha would say the same. Ditto. I'll, I'll triple click. Is that possible? Can I triple click <laughs> on all of that and say that we're going to continue the love fest? And Marcus, I remember when we had lunch um, over at Ann Pizza before the world shut down, we were talking about, you know, what you can do to help. And, and you were serious. And Cliff, same thing, hung with me with the podcast last summer when I was just trying to get through. I could barely get through like two episodes without like having an emotional breakdown because of the world and everything going on. And just knowing I had, you know, Cliff in the corner just kept me going, frankly. And I hope that in 40 years when we're old people, And we're looking back at this time, the young people will celebrate us and find this work marvelous. And I hope that actually Denson organizations aren't necessary Mm -hmm. at that point. And people just kind of accept black and brown folks, religious minorities, all kinds of folks for their knowledge. And they're already incorporated into the foreign policy establishment. And speaking of, let's flip to where we are now. You got to talk a little politic, right? Yeah. So the Biden the Biden administration's been busy. They got a lot on their plate these days. And back in February, the president issued a presidential memo on revitalizing American foreign policy. And for the listeners, um, if you haven't caught up to this, you can go to the White House website. We'll also drop it in our show notes and we'll also uh, share it on social media. But it's the framework for President the president's vision on basically revitalizing U.S. foreign policy and not just at the State Department, but at the Department of Commerce and the Department of Treasury and and several other places. And again, I think timing is so critical for these topics. But I want to ask y'all, did you take a look at it? One. (laughs) And then two, but let's talk about what stood out to you as something that is interesting that you think people should know about. So I think the words on the paper are nice. I think the implementation will be important. I love Mm -hmm. that they call out diversity, equity, and inclusion and accessibility. Mm -hmm. I love that transparency is part of this. I like the cross interagency representation. I, I like that sexism, racism, all those things are called out as priorities for this like workforce initiative. What I want to see is a very intentional conversation about each and not this lumped together, non-specific, inconclusive conversation and action items that lead to the same outcomes that we have. Mm. So when we lump Mm. all types of diversity together and Mm. we just talk about diversity as this big amorphous thing, what we end up with is initiatives that help 
white women. And and there's nothing wrong with them getting a little help if they don't have the right representation, but that probably wasn't the goal of the program in the first place. You were talking about, you know, women of color. You were talking about Black people. You were talking about Asian people. You were talking about all these other groups who are not reaping the benefits. And what I hope is that there are some specifics in that and that the folks who are chosen to represent their agencies in this discussion actually have some power to go back and implement the outcomes mm of a very targeted discussion that actually seeks to create some action items and some progress around these targets. So I think they're headed in the right direction. The things on paper are nice, but the implementation will be very important. To, to build on Camille's point, we're not going to be measured by just how many people are placed in positions. If we're measuring by appointments, I know that's only part of it. We're going to be measured by where those people sit and how long people have an opportunity that are people of color specifically to serve mm-hmm. in some of these roles and to fail, right? Like mm-hmm. it's something is going to be said about what does that first set of challenges or setbacks mean for people of color versus for the majority population in these roles? I also appreciate this executive order because it's part of that larger puzzle piece or fabric, right? There's the faith-based executive order that they sign. One of his very first executive orders touched specifically on looking at racial equality across government. And I think to Camille's point, they are signaling all of the right intentions. And it's going to be important to see what that implementation looks like, not just through personnel, but through programs, through access, mm-hmm. and through where who whose voices we allow to be centered in these conversations. Because if mm-hmm. everybody has to go to EEOB to make advancements <laughs> on this, like that's not hitting. That's not advancing national security. But I think that there is a, a concerted effort from this administration that I think we will see some more community-centered lived experiences from places across the country and across the world mm-hmm. to help tackle some of these issues. So I'm encouraged by it ultimately. Yeah, same here. I I think for me, you mentioned implementation. Both of you mentioned implementation. For me, it's the institutionalization, right? We've all mm-hmm. worked in government and we know that we've seen with the last administration, a president can come in and just be like, I'm done with this. <laughs> And then it's gone. Cliff mentioned this as well. It you you know things that one president done has done or made progress on, another can come in. But then there's just certain things that just stick. They just stick. They've been so ingrained and embedded within the political machine or establishment or ecosystem that it takes years to unravel. And my hope is that you know this administration is able, even if it's just like a sliver of what's been put in this memo, I'm hoping that just that sliver can be so embedded within the government agencies that no president, whether Democrat or Republican or whatever, can come in and just erase it with the stroke of a pen. I think for me, that's been the hardest thing about learning um, how government works and having even been in government and experiencing things you work on just kind of being... (laughs) It's just like written away. It's like my eye was up till midnight working on this thing. So that for me is the part that I'm curious to see how this administration will accomplish. It's just making sure that these ideas and these action items are embedded in the very fabric of our legislation and in these agencies. We have this new round here on the show called What in the World is Going On With? And each of our guests are going to give you their one minute spiel about something that's happening in the world that you should know about. And you can go Google it or 
do a quick internet search and take a look for yourself. We'll also drop resources for you in the show notes and on social media. But Camille, why don't we start with you? All right. So why don't you tell us what in the world is going on with cybersecurity? Y'all know I was going to say that. <laughs> it's a shame, but at least I'm consistent. You know what you're going to do. You are. So you are. You, you actually teed it up for me really well. I want people to understand that they, as an individual, their cyber hygiene practices, how they're thinking about these cybersecurity issues that are happening and seem so big and either um, at an organizational level or at a national level or international level actually tie back to them as people. So I encourage you to actually read up about the Microsoft issue that just happened. Read up about SolarWinds because how countries foreign entities, malicious actors, hackers, all of these folks are targeting the organizations in your sphere, the federal agencies, you as an individual matters to you, matters to how to technology companies that you're used to, the governments that you rely on, the institutions that you rely on are able to not only serve you, but also protect you. Please be keeping a tab on that issue. You don't have to be a cybersecurity expert. I'm happy to help translate this stuff for you, (laughs) but I do want you to be aware of what's going on. She said cyber hygiene. I said, oh, Mm. I've never (laughs) heard that word before. I feel like I should go like wash my hands now or something. Like, <laughs> it should be just as routine as that. Yes, I love it. Every time I talk to Camille, I'm like, let me hold up and go change my passwords right quick. <laughs> Please do. We should all use that this moment in detail. All right. Listen, that two-factor authentication be messing me up, man. It be messing me up, but I, I get. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I am not arguing with you. So, Marcus, what in the world is going on with? What in the world is going on with these state legislation bills? So, I am extremely (laughs) concerned that after we had the most political participation ever in in a democratic election in this country, you have state legislation happening across the country that's essentially taking away people's ability to vote. There are bills in Georgia that are trying to end Sunday voting which is a direct connection to the percentage or turnout that you had among populations that attend church, right? So you have souls to the polls efforts, but we're still in a fight. President Biden said it, this is a battle for the soul of America and we're still very much in it. And a central tenet to that is gonna be people's access to the ballot box. Yeah, in terms of global issues, and unfortunately I think we're seeing, again, the signals that were set by the prior administration. You see what's happening in Myanmar, you see what's happening in these other places. They're talking about, the fact that they want, you know, they don't, they feel like that they want to reset their elections or how they do things. And so mm-hmm. I think it's going to be very important for our country if we're going to continue to be a leader to also demonstrate that we do have commitment to upholding like the central tenet of our whole being, which is this idea of having strong and consistent access to the ballot box. It's crazy that we have to even have this yeah. as a conversation yeah. in the whole 2021. It's just, it's another episode, but it blows my mind how political we've made voting Mm -hmm. when it's part of the core of who we are, as you said. We'll also be dropping information about voting in the show notes. Cliff, what in the world is going on with? 
China related to the purchasing power because part of the phase one deal, if I'm not mistaken, was $200 billion worth of additional goods on top of pre-2017 levels. So, wait, wait, hold on. You got you to gotta explain for the people what all that means. You can't just be throwing stuff out there. What is a phase one deal? What are we talking about? with what, is, what are we talking about here in a nutshell? So within the Trump administration, there was a two-part phase deal. If China was able to meet the pre-2017 levels of purchasing power related to agriculture, manufacturing, um, and other goods and services. And since the trade war particularly the agriculture industry, has taken a significant hit. So pre-2017, we're at roughly $15.8, $15.9 billion of exports. Once those tariffs were enacted, we shifted down to $5.8, $5.9 billion. Mm. So on top of you know, the goods that they have been required to purchase within the phase one deal, they said that they would purchase an additional $200 billion. So if they're able to to keep their word, they're at 51 to 58% of reaching that target as of right now. If they're able to do that, I'll be eager to see what the Biden and Harris administration plan to do with China, either reducing tariffs, because we know tariffs are not good for American right. consumers, because we ultimately pay a higher price for the goods in which we purchase. So I'm eager to see what that's going to look like because they're doing their good faith effort to do their due diligence. Yeah. And so I'm going to do a callback to our trade war episode that we did. And we'll drop the link again in the show notes about our beef with China. And Cliff alluded to that. So thank you, Cliff, for bringing that up. Definitely do not want to be paying more for anything these days. I don't have to. So for me, what in the world is going on with the City and State Diplomacy Act? So if people are not aware, in 2019, there was a bill introduced in the House to create an office within the Department of State that would provide federal support to state and local leaders or entities to do foreign policy, to interface with foreign governments. And I think that this is really important because if you are someone who say is in the middle of the country, you don't have access to the beltway to New York City um, or these major international spaces, you're kind of left out of the conversation of foreign policy. Not kind of, you are. And part of the mission for this show and the reason why I'm so passionate is that I do think that foreign policy is something that every voter should be in tune with and should at a base level understand. And so if we can equip cities and states and governors and mayors and um, county officials and teachers, if we can equip them with their resources to just have a basic conversation about what's going on in the world, I think we will just have a more educated populace, a populace that hopefully votes better, Republican or Democrat or whatever, and frankly, just break the stereotype that Americans don't know anything about the world. So... (laughs) (laughs) I want people to pay attention to the State and Diplomacy Act. It is bipartisan. We have Republicans and Democrats who are standing behind this and want cities to or communities to build their capacity to to talk about these issues. And yes, it's actually an affront to China, which when I was doing the research, I was like, is China like the center of everything that we do? Like what in the world? It's it's kind of annoying, but I get it, but I don't like it. But I get why, Cliff. Tell me why. But the thing is, the symbol Zhong, like Zhongguo, 
is mm -hmm. the actual name of China. So the symbol has more like a square and then a line right in the middle. That mm -hmm. character specifically symbolizes the center of the world. So they've been thinking about this forever. Like they want to be the center of everything in which we as a nation and other nations experience. So they want to be at the head of everything. Have everything. Okay. All right, Cliff. You you spoke some B stuff right here. We you might have to make a, a episode about China because there's a, there's a lot <laughs> there for me to unpack with China. But nonetheless, I I get the concern about competing with China. And there's lots of events that have been coming up if you're in the foreign policy space about China competition. But this is the end of our time together. Marcus, Cliff, Camille, thank you so much for um, joining me and having this conversation. Um, about Denson. And thank you, each of you, for the work that you do, unpaid to advance this, to lift up each other and others. Let's start with you, Cliff. Where can people find you if they want to follow your work on China, if they want to hire you? Where where are you at? Thank you so much, Bumi. People can find me at uh, Clifford Pulley um, via LinkedIn. They can also find me on Instagram if they're more so interested in some of my personal travels. But for the most part, um, via LinkedIn, Clifford Pulley the third um, is where people should go. Perfect. The third. We cannot forget the third. Uh, and Pulley, <laughs> Pulley is spelled P-U-L-L-E-Y. And um, definitely look up Cliff uh, and hire the man. So thank you. Camille, you're all over the place, people. But for the new folks, how can they find you if they want to stay on top of cybersecurity? Camille, E-S-Q, C-A-M-I-L-E-S-Q on link on Twitter and IG, gosh. And then <laughs> CamilleStewart.com if you'd like to follow my work. Awesome. Marcus, how can we, how can folks find you if they want to learn about the work that you're doing? Sure. MarcusTcoleman.com and that gives you everything <laughs> to get to Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff and LinkedIn. Perfect. Perfect. And they're all a, hu a hoot to follow on Twitter. Please make sure you check them out and make sure you follow What in the World podcast at WITW pod on all the platforms. And certainly you can email us at what in the world pod 2017 at gmail.com. So in true fashion, we end the show on a high note. I felt like this was a pretty good pretty fun episode. Nothing too somber here, although my cyber hygiene, it's in the back of my mind. We end on a high note with a song that's keeping y'all in a good mood. Marcus, let's start with you. What's a song that's keeping you in a good mood these days? So this dude, Dear Silas or Dear Silius, he has a song called I Ain't Stressin'. <laughs> and it's, it started as a parody song. It is one of my favorite songs right now. So it's currently <laughs> on Twitter. It's on Instagram. Awesome. All right. I'll be looking out for it. Yes. I would say Nipsey Hussle off of Victory Lab album, Dedication. Okay. Crying grind right now. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> he and I, he got that grind, that grad school grind look on his face, beard all scruffy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But to the three of you, thank you again for joining me on this first episode of the season of What in the World. You all be sure to continue to follow the work of Denson at Natsec Diver, I should say, a diver on social media, on Twitter. And then also diversity and national security network.com is the website. And there are no excuses if you're looking for an expert of diverse background who's 
excellent in what they know and has experience, we have these lists on our website. So please take a look through and, you know, contact us if you would like to reach out to anybody. You can reach out to people directly. So thank you all again. And that is it for our episode of What in the World. Thank you. Thank you, Boone. Thank you. Thank you all. (laughs)